Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. Bible.com says that there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible for the believer, for those who follow God, 7,000. And so we've been working our way through all 7,000. It'll take us about 15 years, we think. Um, one a week, I'm just messing with you guys. And so that hadn't gotten old. I've done that four weeks in a row, and I still like that, that little stupid joke. Anyway, but we are, we have been doing, uh, we, this is the, be our fourth week, and I'm really excited to close it out right here with this promise. And I thought it would, it would be fitting if we kind of looked at Boudreaux and Thibodeau for just a moment to close out this time right here. See, Boudreaux, he, he woke up one morning, and he decided he was going to go play golf with his friend Thibodeau and his friend Guidry. So he ran into the kitchen, and he said to Clotilde, he said, Clotilde, listen, I just decided I'm going to go to play some of that there golf with my buddy Guidry and my buddy Thibodeau, and, uh, and I promise you I'll be home by lunchtime. And Clotilde lost her mind. She said, you know, we only got the one truck there, and you know I got to take my mama to the doctor today at 2 o'clock. Now, Boudreaux, you got to promise that you're going to be back here by noontime, he said, listen, you know I won't, I won't ever fail you. I promise you. I promise you. And he kept promising and promising. Clotilde said, I just don't trust you, Boudreaux. You know you always get lost and you forget things and you don't know where you're at. And you're going to forget me again. I'm going to be sitting here. My mama going to end up dying. I got to get it to the doctor's appointment. He said, now listen, I done told you once. I'm not going to tell you no more. I promise you I'll be here at noon. Well, about noontime comes along. There ain't no Boudreaux. One o'clock comes along. Still no Boudreaux. Clotilde got to get her mama to the doctor's appointment, and there's no Boudreaux come 2 o'clock. She is steaming mad. 4 o'clock, no Boudreaux. 5 o'clock, no Boudreaux. 7 o'clock, Boudreaux done come mandering in on, into the house, and boy, Clotilde, some kind of mad. She said, I knew it. I knew you. You don't ever keep your promises. You ain't nothing but a liar. You don't ever do what you say you're going to do. You promised me you would be here. Somebody else had to go help my mama. I tell you right now, you're no good, Boudreaux. You're no good. He said, listen to me, woman. I don't want to hear about it. He said, we was in the middle of playing golf, and, and Gidry went and had a heart attack and died right there in the middle of the first two holes. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry, Boudreaux. I didn't realize. I didn't realize how tough it must have been all day long sitting there trying to plan a funeral for your friend that just died on the golf course. He said, plan a funeral, nothing. He said, well, it took so long, we play a hole, then we'd have to drag Gidry to the next hole. Play a hole and have to drag him to the next hole. I promise you. God will keep his promises. Do you believe that? Say yes. Come on. Do you believe that? Say yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. That's been our key scripture for this series. I just want to remind you of it. And it says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of our God through us. In other words, what he said he would do, he's going to do it. And his promises are yes. And change his mind at the last second and said, nah, I didn't really mean it. Nah, I didn't mean it. His promises are yes and amen. Amen means so be it. Let it be established. Let it be so. And so we looked the first couple of weeks at the different promises that we, that we focused on. The first promise that we looked at week one was that he would forgive us and cleanse us. How many of you guys are grateful for that promise? Say amen. No matter how wicked we are, no matter what dumb things we do, he promises if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us and cleanse us. And then we looked at the next promise that he promised to give us wisdom. How many have been needing some wisdom right now? He promises that he will give it to us. If we'll ask, he will give us wisdom. He won't judge us. He won't treat us like how stupid can you be. 
by now you ought to know better. If we cry out for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And then last week we looked at that he promised he would give us strength. Come on, everybody lift up your hands. Say, Lord, give me strength. He promises to give us strength in the midst of everything we're going through. And today, as we kind of close out, I picked, a, I picked one of the promises to push all your buttons. And he promises in this one, number four, he promised to prosper us to prosper us. Come on, somebody. I can't wait to get some of the emails on this one about what the Bible says about prosperity. And are you a prosperity preacher? Well, I'm definitely not a poverty preacher if you want to know about that. I can tell you that right now. And we're going to look at the most quotable passage of Scripture about, about prosperity. I'm going to help you see what has probably been misappropriated and for some of you, maybe even switch the way you look at prosperity. And our goal is to see what God's plan for prosperity in our life looks like. And that's Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 1. If you're a Christian of any length of time and you can't quote that, you've not been listening to enough Christian television. And so Jeremiah, sorry, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Come on, read it with me one more time. It's on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, as we jump into this, the most difficulty I have when I listen to certain people minister and watch their YouTube or pay attention to some of the things that they've been posting is a lot of times what happens is people take passages of Scripture out of context. Like, for example, I was telling Pastor Tony the other day, if I, if I videoed you, never knowing you, the one moment that you're disciplining your child, and I post that everywhere, then I would think that, boy, he's a mean old fellow. I'll tell you, that guy right there is just mean. But that's out of context to who he is completely. When I never see him hugging his kids, I never see him, I, I don't video that. Why am I not videoing that? And if you take a portion of God's nature and character out of context, then what you get is a misappropriation of who he is. So I want to put this passage in context. Can we do that? Say yes. Are you ready to study a little bit? Say yes. Come on. You've been sitting at home all this time. You might as well learn something. All right. And so when this prophecy, this is out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet. Once again, God's people have been adulterous. Once again, they're chasing after idols. They're disobeying him. They're breaking covenant relationship. Come on. They're out there messing with other, other, uh, other gods, and they're, and they're walking away from the living God. And so Jeremiah prophesies to them, you will be exiled. Someone, some great nation is going to come and take most of you away or take some of you away because you won't repent to your God because you keep being adulterous. And that's what the book of Jeremiah starts into. And, and what happens actually in history is King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians actually attacks Jerusalem in 605 BC. And he literally, as he is attacking them, the king of Jerusalem comes and begs and pleads for his life and says, listen, you don't have to destroy us. You don't have to do all that. We will pay taxes. We'll pay tribute to you every year. Please don't destroy us. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of you people. I'm going to take the smartest and the brightest. I'm going to take your best engineers. I'm going to take your best warriors. I'm going to take all this big segment of Israelites away, and I'm going to spread them out into the places I need them in my kingdom in Babylon. And so it's called a dispersion, if you will. They were exiled, if you will. They had no longer been there just a few years when all of a sudden the king of Israel stopped paying the tribute. So Nebuchadnezzar don't play, he don't play. He said, all right, watch this. And he comes and he tacks again. 
and he literally begins to take more people and literally uh, he sets up another Judean type king that will actually give him the tribute that he deserved. Pay Babylon not to keep destroying Israel. And so this is kind of this little game that goes back and forth. Well, in this second moment of this whole big piece, other prophets begin prophesying to the Israelites that have been taken away, that have been kidnapped, that have been put into slavery. They start prophesying, don't even unpack your bags. God's going to bless you. Hallelujah. God's going to set you free. Hallelujah. You're not even going to have to even be there for any length of time. God's going to return you back to the promised land. And Jeremiah says, that is not what God is saying at all. And as you jump into Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, that ain't going to happen at all. Just the opposite. God is going to move right where you're at, but he's not bringing you home because you still haven't gone through the disciplinary process of what's supposed to happen. And there's 70 years that's going to happen in this process. And so he's not taking you out, but he is going to sustain you. Which brings us to chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah is prophesying. The word of the Lord is coming forth. I'm not going to take you out of the mess, but I'm going to sustain you within the mess. When he's using the word prosperity, he's not using the word that we, Western, thousands of years later, Americans think like we think prosperity. See, we think prosperity is that we're going to be on Forbes magazine. We think prosperity is we got the nicest house in the neighborhood. We think prosperity is that we're, that we're wealthy, healthy, and wise. But Bible is not that kind of thought process when it comes to prosperity. That's not at all what God is referring to here. In fact, if you go and you research this, the original Hebrew word for prosperity in Jeremiah chapter 29 and 11 is the derivative of the word shalom. Everybody say shalom. That's the word that typically means peace. But it has other aspects of the word. And that word actually means, in this context, the word actually means complete, wholeness. It means complete wholeness, and it's directly tied, if you will, it's directly tied to purpose and reason that God has for us. So when you read that passage a little bit better in the ESV, puts it like this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And the reason why this is critical, because if you look at prosperity in the Bible through your American eyes of how you want to have more followers than anybody else on Instagram, how you want to be more of an in, in influencer than, than Justin Bieber, have you start thinking about all these things of what prosperity means to you, and you, you ta- attach that to the word prosperity in scriptures, you're going to have a totally different opinion than what God is trying to say. And so it's my job as your pastor to set it right, because he promises to prosper us. He promises to take care of us. He promises that he loves us and that he has a future and a hope in the midst of whatever mess or trial or tribulation we may be going through. Even if we're in the midst of discipline because of our rebellion, he promises to make us whole and complete and give us purpose in the midst of it. This is prosperity and the fullness of understanding in the Holy Scriptures. That he's not going to give you all the money you want. He's not going to give you all the nicest houses and the best boats. He promises to make you whole and complete and give you a purpose and a hope and a future even when everything around you is destructive and it's not what you planned or what you wanted or what you prayed for God's saying in the midst of all of that my promise to you is to prosper you to make you whole to make you complete and give you a reason for existence are you with me today say yes some of the wealthiest people I've ever known have been some of the most miserable people so when we think of prosperity we think wealth 
We think they walk in the room. They've got $10,000 worth of clothes adorning their bodies. I tell you, that $10,000 worth of clothes won't keep cancer from destroying them. Friend, prosperity in the way God sees it has so much more about your completeness, your fulfillment, your wholeness, and purpose being accomplished on the earth. See, here's the thing you got to understand. Every one of you are alive for a reason. Every one of you are for life. You're not an accident. So, no, that's not true. My mom was molested. My, 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 my mom was raped, and I wasn't supposed to be here. I was the accident. They didn't plan on having me. That is not true. The Bible says every one of the hairs on your head are numbered. God knows you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, before the foundation of the earth, he picked you. He picked you. If he picked you, he has a plan, a purpose, and a reason. And the most miserable people on the planet are those who have no idea what they're here for. Can I help you a little bit? Prosperity is not about you having more money and more, if you will, success than everyone else. Prosperity is about you knowing the plan God has for you and finding fulfillment in that. And it don't matter if you're, in a, if you're off in some uh, grass hut out in the middle of nowhere preaching to a group of people who don't even know your language. It doesn't matter if you are uh, in a teacher having to do online and live courses all at the same time with a group of kids that halfway pay attention to you. He has a plan and a purpose and he's going to fulfill you in the midst of that that is prosperity that is life worth living it doesn't matter what your bank account says it matters what your heavenly bank account says it's all about that's why the bible says do not store it for yourself in this life riches where moth and rust do destroy store it for yourself riches in that which is to come into heavenly places friend i want you to know something today prosperity is about fulfillment. Prosperity is about purpose. Prosperity is about wholeness in the living God. Are you with me today? Say yes. And look what the Bible says happens when you and I begin to walk in prosperity. And verse, uh, uh, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 10. Look, turn there with me. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 10. It says, when the righteous prosper, what happens? The city rejoices. The city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Oh, dear Jesus, let the righteous, let the righteous prosper, Lord God. Because when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Keep reading in verse 11. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Can I help you with something? Most of the time when you and I are frustrated about politics, local, uh, 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 um, statewide, and national, it's because we're looking at unrighteousness. And we're like, ah, I wish that would come to an end. Ah, I wish they weren't in there. Ah, I wish this. But the Bible says that when the righteous prosper the city rejoices can i just help you with something the reason why the wicked are able to prosper in those areas because the righteous aren't fulfilling their purpose and calling we're running around trying to fulfill some other concept of what prosperity is instead of fulfilling our purpose and calling because when you're fulfilling your purpose and calling the neighborhood rejoices when you are that person down the road that loves on those young people that are out there playing basketball and you just stop and say buddies I just want you to know y'all are good young men if y'all ever need something what that does is cause the entire city to actually rejoice why because you are prospering you are coming into completeness you are coming into wholeness you are living out purpose and as you live out purpose and you live out purpose and you live out purpose I live out purpose we're all connected the city expands and has the glory of God resting upon it why because we are living out purpose this is what prosperity is in scripture it's not about how many how, how many numbers are uh, are attached to your bank account it's not about how much you uh, how much you are worth on on paper it's about whether or not 
You and I are complete and whole. So he says to them, you're in the midst of exile. You were rebellious to me. And so I brought discipline upon you. In fact, I released my hand and the enemy came and I did not save you from it. But I want you to know something in the midst of that. I will not leave you. In fact, I have a plan for you. I have a plan to prosper you. I have a plan of a hope and a future for you. Right there in the midst of where you're at. I'm not plucking you out, but I'm going to prosper you in the middle of it. I'm going to make you whole in the midst of what you don't want to be a part of. I'm going to bring completeness in who you are and your calling and your purpose right there in the midst of those doggone Babylonians. In fact, if you'll just be like I told you to be and act the way you're supposed to act, you're going to save all these Babylonians who start getting saved and they'll start making you their little mayor and they'll start making you their little council member because you're the one that carries my anointing. You're the one who carries my nature. You look like me and you act like me. And friend, this is fulfillment. Are you there today? Say yes. Come on, you're there today? Say yes. Have you ever been in a city where you know the wicked is reigning and ruling? Oh, we're from Louisiana. And we would drive down to New Orleans about an hour and a half away from Baton Rouge where we lived. And the moment we would drive into the city, you could just feel it. You could feel the wickedness. You could see it. You could see the broken downness. You could, you, could, you could see the perversion just acted out on the streets. You could see the result of unrighteousness with the buildings all half falling apart. And then you get to the areas that had so much, you know, the bourbon streets and all the areas were supposed to be so cool and hip. And you see the tarot card readers and you see all the folks doing witchcraft and you could feel the heaviness. And within about a 30-minute moment of being in downtown New Orleans or down on Bourbon Street, the depression that would overtake take you, then the perversion attacking your mind. Why? Because the unrighteous is reigning and ruling in that. Oh, but when the righteous rule, the city rejoices. When the righteous is living in their purpose, it, call, it pushes back the darkness. Where is darkness abounding? Because you refuse to live out your purpose. You fulfill, you refuse fulfillment because you're chasing after some other prosperity dream that's not God's dream for your life. Are you there? Say yes. So let me help teach you how to tap in to God's plan for your, uh, for your prosperity or how to tap into God's prosperity promise. I'm going to take you straight out of the Holy Scriptures in Psalms chapter 1. This is one of my wife's favorite verses and she said, oh, I'm so excited you're teaching on this. Psalms chapter 1 teaches us how to tap into his prosperity promise. We'll start in verse 1 and since it is church and not a social gathering, we're going to read a little bit of Scripture here. It says in verse 1, <clears throat> sorry, um, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And look at the last part. Whatever he does, say it with me, prospers. Say it again. Whatever he does Say, say it out loud, real loud online. Whatever he does, prospers. Whatever he does, whose stuff prospers? Who, who's the he and whatever he does prospers? Well, we got to back it up. And we, give, we get this little teaching from the Lord about his prosperity promise and how to tap into it. He gives us three things not to do. What not to do. And so let's check ourselves to see if we've started into these things. The first thing he tells us not to do is to walk in the counsel of the wicked. To walk in the counsel of the wicked. The council. See, what it's referring to is your belief system. Your belief system. What do you believe? Where do you believe? And, and where did you get your belief system? See, everything you believe, you got it from somebody else. Let that sink for a second. That ain't true. I, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I have my own way of thinking. That's not, I, I love you, but that's, that's not even practical. You were not born with all your belief system. 
At two years old, you did not know right from wrong or wrong from right. You did not know which way you think this should go or that should go. And so what happened was throughout your life, you begin to develop your belief system based on other people's opinions and other people's belief systems and what they basically handed you. What you read, that was somebody wrote that. It didn't just come out of the, you know, the space. You, what you studied, what someone told you, what someone coached you. Some of you still believe what your old granddaddy used to believe. I never forget one time I was, I was uh, working with this young man, awesome young man of God. I was discipling him, and, and uh, he had made a commitment. He's 19 years old. He made a commitment not to have premarital sex. He just wanted to be a man of God. And, and, uh, and so uh, one day his daddy showed up at, my, at, at the church. He said, you, you that pastor? I said, yes, I am. He said, you've been, you been telling my boy what to do? I said, I don't know about that, but I've been teaching him the Bible. He goes, well, let me ask you something. He told me he ain't going to have no sex until he gets married. I said, oh, that's awesome. I'm really proud of that. Now, what kind of blanky-blank is that stuff? I said, what do you mean, sir? He said, now, let me ask you something. How are you going to buy a car that you haven't test drove? You want to explain that to me? And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. See, you, you think that he needs to go out there and have sex with whoever so that he can kind of get good at having sex. He goes, exactly. That's exactly right. He said, what else he going to do? I said, you are the most ignorant person I've ever been around, sir. I told him straight up, I was like, you know, let's go. If we're going to fight, let's fight. Let's go. This is Louisiana. We're used to it. Let's go. And so I said, you're the most ignorant person. I said, with all the teen pregnancy that we have right now, with all the children that don't have dads in their life because some guy's been messing around, I said, are you out of your ever-living mind? I said, the best thing your boy could ever do is find the woman of his dreams. Think he could ever do. Keep himself for her as she keeps him, herself for him. And then come together and discover the beauty of the sexual relationship together. That's the, most, that's the most powerful. In fact, the Bible teaches us that. I said, sir, you don't believe the Bible, do you? Well, not if it says that. I'll tell you that right now. But I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I said, no, you're not. No, you're not. What you have is belief systems that do not line up with the Word of God. What does it start with? It says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I wonder how much stuff is still in me, how much stuff is in you, from the counsel of the wicked. How much stuff we've seen on YouTube, and you yeah, that's probably right. That's true. How much stuff have we seen posted like that? Yeah, you're right about that, bless God. How much of that stuff is the counsel of the wicked? And then look how the Lord lays it out. It's a progression. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And then number two, or stand in the way of sinners. And this is referencing our action. So do not believe what they believe. Do not adhere to their counsel, to how their belief system that directly opposes what I'm teaching you and who I am. And then do not go act upon that with them. Do not stand on that pathway. It's actually re reference. It's in, in, in Jewish thought process. You got to understand in scripture, uh, the Jewish language is a pictorial language. So they would use the word uh, a head, which, would, which they would all have a picture of someone's head on top of their body. It's the first thing you notice, if you will. And so when they would say he was the head of the class, they would say that he's the one up front. He's the main one. And so what he's saying here, do not stand on that pathway with them. In other words, don't go act with them on that. How many of our actions are actually connected to our bad belief system? And here we are battling the things of God. And so when we read in the scripture like, oh, I don't know, uh, forgive our enemies or pray for those who despitefully use us and abuse us, he said, uh -uh, that don't line up with the way I believe. That's your problem. 
And so you don't understand why you don't have prosperity, you don't have fulfillment, you don't have wholeness, you don't have purpose in life. It's because you're in the wrong spot. You're not tapping into what he has put out there for you. You're not actually walking in his ways. And so as a result, you're constantly taking bad pathways off sight, uh, off of the sight and the path that he has for you. So you're constantly getting off purpose because you've got bad belief systems and you're acting on those bad belief systems. And then he finally says it like this, and if you keep doing that, then what it'll do is it'll lead you to sitting in the seat of mockers. It'll cause you to end up, they'll become your people. Who are your people? Who are the people that you identify with? Who's your group? I'm going to tell you who my people is. My people are those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, all their soul, and all, your, all their strength. I tell you right now, I don't care what your political been. You need to know good and well that Jesus is not coming back on a donkey. He's not coming back on an elephant. He's coming back on a white horse. You better get your, you better get your team straight. You better be on the right team. You just need to know that. I'm not on this team over here or that team over here. I appreciate all that, and I do my best to do right and vote right and best I can. But at the end of the day, my people are sitting right here with me. My my people are those who love Jesus with all their heart, all their mind, all their strength. Those are the people that we're supposed to be a part of. But he says, and if you're not careful, you'll start with believing the way they believe. Then all of a sudden, you'll start acting the way they act. And before you know it, you got a seat at the table. You're sitting there with them, and you're a part of their mockery, and you don't even realize that has transpired. And I would say it like this. If you follow the wrong influencers, then you will stand with the wrong movements. And ultimately, you'll find yourself as a seated member of those who oppose the living God. And you don't even realize it's happened. And that's what he's warning us from. So he says, don't do these things. So the easiest way to correct that is to start back to my belief system. Or what, what does your word say about this? That's where I can get. And that's why he then moves us into two little quick pieces on what to do. First, he starts with number one, but they delight in the Lord's instruction. So the first thing, if you want to tap in, if you want to tap into the promise that he's going to prosper you, and you've got to delight. You and I have to go back to delighting in the Lord's instructions, in the law of the Lord as, as the psalmist declared it, because all he knew at the time was the Torah, and, and the things of God and the instructions of the Lord, what Jesus taught. What, what the Holy Scriptures are saying to us, reworking our way of thinking. And, and look how it opens it up, delight in the Lord's law. They delight in it. They delight in it. What do you enjoy? you got to learn to enjoy the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. I'll tell you, I had a coach that just was a terrible coach early on. I ended up playing basketball at the little school I was at. They just didn't have enough athletes, and so I was not created for basketball, as you can tell. I'm lacking a few giftings there by about seven or eight inches. And so I but they needed me, and so I'd played baseball and football my whole life since peewee. I was pretty good, really decent little athlete, and uh, took on this uh, basketball thing because the coach asked me to come out and wasn't a good coach, didn't really know what he was doing, and I couldn't figure out why you could not tackle them if they had the ball. They got it. Why can't I have it? I'll take it from them. I could not figure out that didn't make any sense to me. If they got the ball, I'm going to knock them out and take it. That's what we did in football. It didn't make any sense, and uh, I fouled out every time before halftime, every time. Out. I didn't also understand why you had to dribble it every time you took a step. That was dumb. I don't need to take. I don't need to dribble to take a step. I just run with it. And uh, and so it took me a while to even understand the rules. But I had a coach that just really did not grasp how to instruct us properly. Just didn't get it. Didn't didn't know how to do it. Just you know threw some drills out there, threw the rules out there, and then somewhere around tenth grade, I got a coach who was in a magnificent coach. He, I mean, everything he did. 
every time he would correct me, I delighted in it. You know why? Because he was making me better. And I had been frustrated that I didn't, I couldn't make a layup. How do you not know how to make a layup? And I'll never forget when he, after practice, said, Adam, stay with me a little bit. And you got to understand, I'm so fast. I would come running and try to throw that ball up against that backboard. And it would just hit, bow, and go somewhere else. Every time, every time. I mean, I've been playing for two, three years at this point. And finally, I had this coach. He pulled me aside. I said, listen, part of the reason why you can't make a layup is you're not taking the right angle. you got to come from a different angle. You're trying to go straight on when you need to come at an angle. Put it against that backboard, and it'll go right in that hole. And he, I, he said, watch this. And he showed me. Can I tell you, I delighted in that correction. I delighted in that instruction. I delight. Why? Because now I don't look like a fool. Come on, Christian. Now I don't look like an idiot. Now I can actually overcome and overtake. They delight. Those who love the Lord, they delight in his instruction. You want to be a man or woman who prospers? Delight in his instruction. Enjoy the word of the Lord. Let it, sit, let it, let it take over your old belief system. Let it help you bring, in, bring you into alignment with his nature. See, when I read the Bible, it brings me into alignment with his nature because I'm not like that. Like, I would never forgive my enemy. The way I grew up, we get even with our enemy. I would never, ever, 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 ever hold my tongue in the midst of somebody being stupid. I call them out, embarrass them right in the middle of Walmart, whatever. Even to this day, I have a hard time when somebody's being dumb, not calling them out in front of everybody and embarrassing them. It's just the way I grew up. I grew up, again, I was the only white kid in the gym all the time, so we called each other out. Like, dude, you can't even dribble. You suck. Come on now. What you got? You ain't got nothing. And so I still sometimes I'll break into that, and I have to, Lord, deliver me deliver me and I have to get lined back up and when I get into his instruction when I get into his word it begins lining me back up to his nature and the way he is and then also what it does is it activates my purpose when I start getting into his word and his holy instruction starts activating my purpose I'm like this don't matter this is a waste of my time this is what I need to be about in the things of the Lord I need to be about this I have a friend and he gave me permission to tell the story his name's James and uh, the hearts and I have known him for many years and James uh, you know early on in their marriage he and his wife and young kids he do a little bit of construction here and there and Ted Wendy Knack know him and, uh, and, and you know never really did well that well for his family and, and uh, a buddy of his uh, started, had a little contract company, you know, had a couple of them. They're just going and doing house remodels and stuff. And, and this man's name is Lance. And Lance, uh, Lance gets radically touched by God. Lance had had, according to his testimony, he had had an addiction. And uh, he went through one of these uh, addiction recovery, one of these Christian groups. And it, it just set him free. And he decided then and there, he and James got together and the other guys on a little construction company, they decided then and there they were going to make this construction company line up with the Word of God. If the Bible says it, they were going to do it. If it didn't say it, they were going to do it. They weren't going to do it. Who does that in business? And so they brought a pastor in. And they had a pastor start meeting with them every week, coaching them. They brought in Christian businessmen and women and began to coach them. How do we do that? How do we do our books so that, they, so that it's not manipulative? They began to get the contracts for major ISDs around the Metroplex. They began to, they began to explode. They their, their uh, employee base just expanded and expanded and expanded to scores and scores and scores and multiple groups at, at one time, working in Texas, working in Louisiana, I mean, south down all the way down to Austin and into Houston and projects up here this last year. They're going to be about, they're going to they're um, make about $150 million this year is what they're going to do. So we're talking about
got a pretty big contract company, and uh, and so and, and and they're constantly uh, fighting through uh, when they're working with some of the uh, the city government stuff. They find out there's uh, some manipulation and some things, and they refuse to pay off people. They refuse to bribe people, even though they've been asked to, and things like that. And in fact, the other day they decided last year that every Monday in 2019, every Monday. Uh, that they were going to have a staff meet with everybody. So you got all you got your you got your plumbers, you got your you got your drywall guys, you got your framers, all these guys. And so they're putting them in this giant room and they're having Bible study every morning and paying them. That's what they do when they come to work for the first hour and a half to two hours. And they pray over them and they pray together. And so some of them are atheists, some of them are Muslims. Their lives are being turned around. God's doing great things in their life. And so when COVID happened, they couldn't necessarily get them all in a big room. So they started doing. Uh, they started doing Zoom calls every Monday morning, and uh, they started they started going out and building orphanage overseas, and they literally would pay the guys to go on, if you will, a missions trip. And these men started going on missions trips, and their lives started getting changed, and they started being affected. And just the other day, and this is what got me stoked, and I had to show this to you. Just the other day, they're reading the word, they're praying, and here you got these old construction dudes, and man, their lives are being changed. And the other day. One of the foremans on the job at one of the schools, the superintendent came by, and the foreman began talking to the superintendent. And as he began sharing about how God had changed his life, that he started working for this company, and he never knew God, but they started studying the Bible. They started listening to what God had to say. They started putting God's principles into place in their life that has changed everything about him. And the, and the head, the superintendent said, I need God in my life. And so he prayed with him right there to get saved. He said, but the superintendent, the superintendent had known a little bit about church. He said, no, 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 I don't want to just do that I want to get water baptized. And the guy said, well, what church do you go to? He goes, I've never been to church. He says, well, well, we'll, we'll get you over to church and get you water baptized. And he said, why do you have to go to church to get water baptized? And so the foreman said, let's go, let's go to the owner's house and let's do a water baptism. Show him footage real quick of the superintendent of this ISD being water baptized by the foreman of a construction company. Show that to him for just a second. This will bless you right here. Look at this. This is real. This is Christianity. Look at this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I tell you right now, that foreman doesn't matter. He doesn't care how many jet skis he does or doesn't have. That foreman right there is fulfilling purpose. He is prosperous. He is seeing people's lives change. For when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Friend, what's happened to us that we think the goal line is something, that prosperity is something out there with money and something out there with prestige and something out there with influence when really prosperity is right here, fulfillment right here, wherever I'm at. I'm going to get all these folks saved at my job because I'm going to show them what a real Christian looks like. I'm going to be fulfilled in who I am. God's going to complete me and make me whole right where I am, and that's going to affect everyone around me, and that is prosperous because my kids are going to look up and say, that's the real deal. My grandkids are going to say, that's the real deal. We keep thinking that prosperity, we keep thinking that purpose is something way out there that one day we'll get to when purpose is right here where you're at. And you just need to grab a hold to it and say, Lord, fulfill me, prosper me right here in the midst of everything I'm in the middle of. God, give me the ability to see what you are saying and doing in my life. And the second thing it tells us to do first, delight in the Lord's instructions. And then number two, meditate on the Lord's instructions. 
Meditate. Now you say, well, that sounds like the same to me. It's, I, it absolutely is not. To delight in his instructions is you can't wait to learn about God and to learn his ways and apply them to your life. But to meditate means that, come on, some of us are a little more mature in the things of the Lord. It means you sit there and you soak in it. And you, and you, and you, and you grapple with it. And you just say, ah, ooh, Jesus, mm, that's a tough one. Mm, mm, mm. And you meditate on it day and night. And you go back to it and you say, Lord, I know that that's what you say. Oh, but you don't know what you did to me. You just don't know what I've been through. And the Lord's saying, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Shut up and do what I tell you to do. Oh, Lord, I just tell you right now. And you say, what's happening is that word begins to not, not just you know, be something that, you, that you're fighting with. And it starts, it starts taking down all the hard spots of the heart as you meditate on it, as you soak in it, as you just kind of let it begin to, to soften all that stuff of what you think is right. All that old belief system that you've got in your life and the new belief system that's not from the Father that you keep getting from all the different people you follow who you think are so good and they make a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, do they line up with what the Word of God says? Do they meditate on His Word? Are you meditating on what they had to say? Or are you meditating on what He has to say? Are you with me? Say yes. I have a buddy. I brought him here. I'll keep his name. Uh, private, uh, but I brought him here to minister to us a couple years ago. Some of you were able to be in that meeting. I brought him here on a Saturday. And this man is a successful businessman. He lives in the Oklahoma area. And uh, I came in contact with him um, after a major situation that had happened in his life. He is a uh, successful, uh, I won't tell you what type of business he's in, but basically uh, CEO type. And, um, but he's also got this prophetic thing on his life. See, the thing that you don't get is that every one of us have a purpose. Every one of us are a part. We're a body part. The Bible calls us in Romans chapter 12 that some of you may be a toe, some of you may be a foot, some of you may be the mouth and ear. And if you're so busy trying to be a mouth when really you're a toe, no wonder you're frustrated. No wonder you're agitated. You keep looking past what you have and say, this isn't good enough. I'd like what they have. And that comparison is what's destroying us, right? And so he just embraced the fact that he was really good at business, but he also had this prophetic thing. And so it said he, he, he said it took him years. He thought he was supposed to be a, a traveling prophet to go on Christian television. He said, thus saith the Lord. He said, but it didn't make any sense, and it just didn't feel right. I didn't like the whole Christian thing and being around all the Christians and saying, the Lord saying, the Lord saying, the Lord saying. He said, I felt like there was something different for me. And I was really good at business, and I was really successful with this, so I couldn't, I didn't figure it out. He said, until my 40s and into my 50s when I started realizing, wait a minute, fulfillment. God's going to prosper me in this with this. I'm going to have purpose and fulfillment and right where he's got me. He's not going to take me out of the business world. He's going to use me within the business world to change the world. And so he started meeting with a particular person who was an executive at Disney. And he, and he gave us permission to tell this. He's an executive at Disney. Now, obviously, the way Disney is set up is there are six executives who make all of the Disney decisions when it comes to properties that they're going to buy, businesses that they're going to buy. You probably have figured it out by now. Uh, uh, Disney does not start new departments. They just go and take over your company. They buy you out. So if they want something in technology and your little company's doing good, they just come buy you. They just, they just come and, and act acquisitions. And, and this, these, these six folks are in charge of all the acquisitions and all the buying and all the, all the making major decisions of the tune of billions and billions of dollars a year. And my buddy meets one of them, and they start engaging over something else. And my buddy, in the midst of talking to him, says, the Lord wants me to tell you this. And he starts prophesying to this guy who's the Disney exec. The guy's like, you... How do you know that? He goes, I don't know it. 
the God that I serve, the God of heaven and earth, the creator, told me to tell you this. He says, there's no way you can know this. He says, I don't. I'm trying to tell you. I don't know this. God knows this, and God wanted me to tell you this. So he starts a relationship where he starts prophesying to this guy. They get in a business deal. Disney gets in a major business deal. They're about to, uh, they're about to buy out this one company. And it's a good deal, but they have a policy that they don't do it if they don't have all six of the executives in agreement. If one says, no, I don't believe it's the right decision, they don't do it. So they're back and forth on this particular business. And the guy who knows my buddy says, hey, I know a dude. I know a dude who's got an inside trader kind of thing going. He hears from what he calls his God, the God of the Bible. And, uh, and they're so frustrated. They said, well... Call him up. See if he can tell us what God's saying about this. Should we buy it? Should we not? They're back and forth. They're making fun of him. He says, give me the weekend. I said, okay. So he calls him on a Thursday. He says, listen. He says, "Uh, do you think you could ask your God whether or not we're supposed to buy this particular company? And uh, and, uh, he goes, "Uh, sure, I'll pray for you. (laughs) He goes, okay. He goes, now listen, uh, you have till Sunday night because... uh, because uh, Monday, we've got to get back in, in executive meetings and make a decision on this company. I think it's a good company. Most everybody does. But, boy, we've got a couple things that just don't, it's not sitting right. And some of the numbers aren't meshing up. He goes, okay. So I'll pray for it. And so Saturday, the guy calls him. Have you, has your God said anything to you yet? And he goes, nah, bro. I'm just, you know, no. I'm at a birthday party for my grandkid. Okay, well, well let me know. He says, Sunday, he's, before he goes to church, he's sitting out on his back patio, sipping his coffee, reading his Bible. And all of a sudden, he gets this little nudge from the Spirit of the Lord. It tells him three things. I think one of the things was something like, uh, they're cooking the books. So that's not, so, so, and, and there has been embezzlement that nobody knows about. But it's going to come out here in a week or two. And, uh, and they should, and the Disney guys should stay away from it. So he says, okay. So he, he writes it down on a little scratch piece of paper. After church, he calls the guy. He says, hey, listen, I was in my prayer. I felt like the Lord told me to tell you this. And he goes, no way. There's no way. We've looked at the books. There's no embezzlement. Uh, they've not cooked the books, this, that, and other. Uh, but okay, that's what your God says. So the guy goes back to the executive meeting on Monday and says, hey, look, my dude says that uh, his God says that they've cooked the books and they're back and forth. There's no way. Da, da, da. Well, we don't have agreement, so we can't buy it. So they hold off for a couple of days. By Friday, it comes out that they had embezzlement from the CEO, had been embezzling funds, and that they had cooked the books. They, this friend of mine gets a call from those executives on a conference call saying, hey, can we, can we put you on retainer to hear from your God so that we don't waste billions of dollars every year? And he said, no, sir, because you cannot buy the gift of God. Come on, somebody. The uh, only reason he did that is because he's lined up with the word of God. Because on his word, he meditates day and night. Otherwise, he'd have went, oh, baby, we just hit the meal ticket right here, baby love. Woo! And now he becomes a false prophet because he begins to try to please men instead of please the Lord. And this is unfulfillment. He plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. But prosperity not the way an American thinks, but prosperity the way God thinks. To make you complete and whole. To give you purpose and live right in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your exile, in the midst of the place you don't want to be. He will prosper you there. Make you whole and complete and give you purpose. Are you with me today? Say yes. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. 
You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.